Support for KVLU is made possible in part by Visit Port Arthur, welcoming visitors from around the world to experience the Cajun capital of Texas. With plenty of Gulf seafood and the natural wonders of Sea Rim State Park and Sabine Lake, enjoy paddling, fishing, sailing, and world-class birding amidst two migratory flyways. More info at visitportarthurtx.com. From KVLU Public Radio in Beaumont, Texas, this is Bayou Lands Talks, a companion podcast where we're sharing some of our favorite conversations with a wide range of guests that we've interviewed for the KVLU radio documentary series, Bayou Lands, a program exploring the people and places of Southeast Texas since 2016. This is Shannon Harris. For this episode, we're sharing my recent conversation with Katherine Leister, from the Terrell Historical Library in Belmont. We spoke about the many resources available at the library and her research findings about the history of Port Arthur's Pleasure Island. We hope you enjoy. Catherine, thank you so much for speaking with me today for Bayou Lands. Thanks for having me. We have been wanting to do a story about the Terrell Library for a while. It's been on our list of stories to do. So this gives us an opportunity to talk about what a resource it is in Southeast Texas that I think a lot of people are not aware of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, what do you do at the Terrell? So I'm the assistant archivist there, um, which means I spend half of my time working upstairs in the archive, um, processing collections, managing the collection space, making sure it's clean, orderly, that all of the collection items are taken care of. And I also do a lot of digitization work up there. So I'm scanning lots of scrapbooks, photo albums, images, and I help upload those to our Content DM website, which has all of our digitized collection materials that really anybody from home can, can view whenever they want to. Um, and then the other half of my time I spend downstairs in our genealogy research room, um, which is open to the public. Anybody can come in. And back there, I help people um, who are doing family history research kind of navigate. We have a lot of uh, books in our collection with all kinds of indexes that people come in to use. And I help people use Ancestry.com and Family Search, things like that. And also, I help people with a lot of requests um, about the microfilm we have of the Beaumont Enterprise and Beaumont Journal, which goes back to 1880. Wow. So I kind of straddle this line. I am kind of behind the scenes working with collections, but then also I get to help patrons and people who come in with their different research. You probably learn something new every single day. Absolutely. (laughs) Every time. And whenever I scan uh, materials, you know, I I get to look through every single page of all of these scrapbooks, like from the 1930s. And you learn so much about the people who lived in this community. And so it's a very niche knowledge that is not really useful in my daily life, but I love it. And it's really, really fun. Yeah. Can you just give us a brief history of the Terrell Library? How did it get started? Mm -hmm. So the building that you see today, which is located um, just across the street from the Julie Rogers Theater, where the big gray stone building that looks like a castle, I tell people. And so that building was built in 1903, and it was the first Baptist church of Beaumont. Um, And before 1903, there was another um, kind of wood frame church on that same corner. And then, of course, after the Spindletop oil boom in 1901, the congregation 
grew so rapidly that they needed a much larger church and they had more money to build. So I think it's really interesting how that the building that we see today is really, really closely connected with the origins of Beaumont mm. in many ways. So it was the Baptist church um, from 1903 until about the 1920s. And then the church relocated again, and the building was purchased by W.C. Terrell, the namesake of the library. Um, and so in 1926, he donated the building to the city of Beaumont to be used as the first public library in Beaumont. And it was called the Terrell Public Library. And it served as that as the main branch of the library until 1974, when the current main library was built. Um, and at that time, the Terrell was turned into the historical library. But then in the late 70s and all through the 80s, the building really reached a state of disrepair. Um, and it was closed for a long time. There was a really, really long, drawn-out, period of restoration, raising money, um, things like that. It was a really, really big community effort to get the building into the shape that it is today. And so it officially opened as it looks more or less now in 1990. And then in 2009, um, the annex was built that kind of is in the back facing the art museum. And that is where the genealogy research room is. And also in the upstairs, that's where our um, newer archive area is located. And uh, you mentioned that the archives are not open to the public, but the public has access to them Mm -hmm. in a couple of different ways. Can you share about that? Absolutely. So um, anybody who comes in, you know, people can browse our book collections and um, people have lots of freedom once they're in the building. But we do have um, our two archive rooms upstairs and those are not open to the public just for security and just so we can keep those areas clean and everything organized. So we have two websites um, and they are accessible on the City of Beaumont website um, under our library branch profile and also they're linked in our Facebook and Instagram pages. And so there's one called Archive Space and that has all of the finding aids for our archival collections. So in, it's a box list and you can go through and search by collection name and then go in and see exactly what is in every box in that collection. We also have a website called Content DM, and that one has all of our digitized materials. So it's mainly photographs and some maps and scrapbooks. Um, and that one you can also search by collection. And both of these websites, you can just search a keyword, and anything that we have will just come up. Yeah. Um, so those are really great resources. And so if you want to look on the websites, it'll tell you exactly what collection, what box number, um, a certain material is located in and you could just come in or give us a call and say I want to see this box and then we'll just bring it down for you. Fantastic. Now Catherine where do your collections come from mainly? So the large majority of our collections um, come from donations just from people who live in the area or used to live in the area who come across something in their attic or at their dad's house that they don't think they need anymore they come by and bring it to us. Mm So it's important to consider because a lot of us have, you know, family photographs, family heirlooms, all kinds of pamphlets, brochures, even menus people have brought in. And it may seem like that stuff is kind of miscellaneous. So I I would say that anything that you have in your attic that you don't really know what to do with, but you know it's old, just come bring it to us and we'll take it. We also, and this is a thing that we're really trying to promote and make sure people are aware of, is that we actively collect Southeast Texas school yearbooks. So we have Charlton Pollard, Hebert High School, Beaumont High School, even Silsby and Port Arthur and Port Neches. Our collections, though, are not complete. So if you know anybody who has any yearbooks, please bring them over because we have a lot of gaps in our collections. 
What about video? Do you have historical video? Yes, we do. Actually, um, our branch manager and our archivist right now are really working on um, getting to a place where we can digitize more video because we, we do have a lot of tapes that people have donated. So we're working right now to get those digitized. And we do have a large collection of the KFDM PM magazine tapes from the 1980s and 90s. Mm, nice. And many of those have been digitized and you can search them on the Texas Archive of the Moving Image website. They have um, just a search bar and you can just type in PM Magazine or Terrell Historical Library and all of our collections will come up. Okay. And some of those are so cool because they're local features. I see people that I know <laughs> in their youth in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, such a slice of life. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So that is definitely something that we are actively working on um, and actively collecting. So because the Terrell Library is such a a great resource for all of Southeast Texas, Mm -hmm. I thought it would be great to speak with you about Pleasure Island and the history of the Mm -hmm. island. It has quite a notorious (laughs) background, you know, it was a a really popular place back Mm -hmm. in the day. So can you share with us what you found in the collection regarding Pleasure Island? Yes, of course. So the sources that I've used in my research that we have at the Terrell. I've used a lot of newspaper articles, of course, from the Beaumont Enterprise and Beaumont Journal. Also, the Beaumont Enterprise, they recently donated their entire library to us just about a year ago. Um, So they have a ton of files on Pleasure Island. So that's been a really interesting resource. And also, I brought with me the Port Arthur American Guide series that was written in the late 1930s by the Federal Writers Project of the Works Progress Administration during mm-hmm, the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a guide to Port Arthur. And I there also is one about Beaumont and about every state in America that was done. Um, and this is a really interesting resource because it is both a primary and a secondary source. Now, because it was written almost 100 years ago, it kind of gives us a snapshot of what Port Arthur was like in the 1930s and about what people in Port Arthur viewed the history of the city in the 1930s, but it also is a really interesting historical resource because there's so much in here about about Pleasure Island. How did Pleasure Island get started? It became a destination mm-hmm. and a shining star of Port Arthur for a period of time. So let's talk about that. Yeah, so what I think is so interesting is the story of Pleasure Island runs parallel to the story of Port Arthur. And that becomes really obvious whenever you look at all of the, you know, the ebbs and the flows and the history and, and about the way that it was begun. So the story really begins in the 1890s, um, of course, with Arthur Stilwell very eccentric, colorful man who built his railroad ending in Port Arthur. In this time period, Southeast Texas looked very different than it does today. Port Arthur was really nothing. Beaumont really was nothing. This was before the Spindletop oil boom. So this was a very rural place. The main industries at this time were rice farming, ranching, and lumber. And Arthur Stilwell was a very interesting, colorful man um, who believed that he had a sixth sense to kind of communicate with these spirits that he called the brownies. And so in this Port Arthur American Guide series book that we have at the Terrell, they they quote a lot from his autobiography. And in it, he writes that Port Arthur was, quote, the only city ever located and built under directions from the spirit world. And whenever he was building the railroad, he knew that he needed to have a canal 
so that boats could come up a canal to Port Arthur from the Gulf of Mexico to have commerce with the railroad. Um, So the whole idea was that Arthur Stilwell would come in and build this railroad and build a town that would, you know, create an industry, create jobs, and that people would want to come live there, and there would be all kinds of trade. But he also wanted to build Port Arthur as, like, a tourist destination, Mm -hmm. kind of like we think of Galveston today. So Arthur Stilwell says that he had a vision um, from the Brownies in which he saw, quote, a perfect map of the canal, docks, and turning basin just as they exist today. My faith in the Brownies' directions had enabled me to carry conviction to the directors of the railroad, and as if by magic there arose great elevators, warehouses, docks, and piers in the prosperous city of Port Arthur, to which the Brownies told me to give my first name. So whenever they built this canal, basically all of the land that they dug out of the ground, they just dumped to the other side, and that created Pleasure Island. And they also built a pier on Pleasure Island, which they called Pleasure Pier, not to be confused with the one in Galveston. Right. And so this all was happening in 1897. And Pleasure Island really was a lot of um, Arthur Stilwell's promotional plans for the railroad. And he did this kind of thing all across the railroad, which ran from Kansas City down to Port Arthur. So all along the way, there were all these kind of tourist destinations um, in hopes that wealthy people would ride the railroad because you could stop and do all of these interesting things. And so in in 1897, there was this 2,000-foot boardwalk, um, and there was Hotel Sabine, which was a luxury hotel, um, and there was a two-story pavilion at the end of the pier in Sabine Lake. Um, And there was an amusement center that is described as a miniature Coney Island. So it was meant to be kind of this turn-of-the-century luxury tourist attraction. But then, of course, just a year later, the pier was heavily damaged by a hurricane. Um, That apparently came in um, while all of these new tourists, who they called home buyers, um, were 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 there traveling. So there's lots and lots of damage done to the pier just after it was opened. Um, And then it was repaired and built with open-air dining rooms. There was bars, bowling alleys, skating rinks, and they had a summer theater that was built soon after, and they would have boat races. So it was, um, like you were saying, a a very happening place. Yeah, Um, yeah. mm -hmm. And how long did that period of time last? I know that there were, that the dance hall was utilized uh, during World War II. They Mm -hmm. had, Mm -hmm. you know, big band dances out there. Harry James performed out there, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure many others. Throughout the history, it seems that there were there were kind of ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. Um, like in 1908, um, they built a drawbridge to connect the island to the mainland. But then there was a fire that damaged the pier. And then in 1913, there, they had a steel drawbridge that was constructed. And then there was more construction happening. But then again in the 1960s, the bridge was damaged again. So it seems like there was this... I, I found an article in the Enterprise that... I believe ran in the 1990s. And the headline was something like development ebbs and flows at Pleasure Island, which seems to be kind of the history is that a bridge would be damaged mainly by ships running into it, mm-hmm. going through the canal. Mm-hmm. There would be a fire or there would be, would be a storm and things would get damaged but then rebuilt. But also there, there was lots consistently happening from the time of its construction all the way really in, into the 1960s. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Great. Is there anything else that you found or that you uncovered that you thought was interesting? Mm-hmm. So in the Port Arthur American Guide series book that we have at the Terrell, they have a, an interesting quote that seems to come from older residents. Um, the period of time in the 1910s 
when the pier was rebuilt and they had this new steel drawbridge. But it says that, and I'm quoting here, the most popular means of reaching the resort in 1914 was on the string bean, a long, slim streetcar that operated over a narrow gauge rail line between the lake shore and the pier. The coach, older residents recall, was built along the plans and specifications of a bean pod. They often felt themselves wondering how its center of gravity prevented it from turning out and dumping the merrymakers into the lake by rolling them off the trestle work. The sky was the limit in seating capacity. Wow, I'd love to see a photo of that. (laughs) Yeah, I have not been able to find one, and there is not one in this book. But I just think that's so hilarious, the idea of all of these people just shoving themselves onto this car. And it just just seems really absurd to me. Mm -hmm. Really dangerous. (laughs) Yes, and I think that seems to be kind of the story of Pleasure Island's history, is things happening there kind of against all odds. Because when, when you think about it, I mean, it's... It's not a natural island. It was completely man-made. It's really not meant to be there in the first place. And, you know, there have been all these natural disasters that have come against it. So I just think it's it's really interesting how just the, by pure will of people in this community, there, there have been things built at Pleasure Island and things enjoyed there. Well, that is great. Thank you so much for sharing that mm-hmm. with us, Catherine. And thank you for speaking with us for Bayou Lands. I appreciate you coming into the studio. Thanks so much. Of course. Thanks to our guest for this episode, Katherine Leister. To learn more about the Terrell Historical Library, go to their website at beaumonttexas.gov. Pleasure Island is in the process of making several improvements for the public, including a newly renovated disc golf course and the installation of a new bird blind, and the construction of a new playground is nearing completion. Port Arthur is also in negotiations for the development of a water park on the island. For more information, visit the Parks and Recreation Department on the portarthurtx.gov website. You can hear an encore broadcast of the most recent episode of Bayou Lands that includes my conversation with Catherine Leister, as well as George Davis, the current director of Pleasure Island, on Sunday, July 23rd at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time on 91.3 FM and online at kvlu.org. Bayou Lands Talks is produced in the studios of 91.3 KVLU Public Radio in Beaumont, Texas, by Shannon Harris and Jason M. Miller. Thanks to the HH and Edna Houseman Charitable Trust for making this program possible. Additional support provided by the Jefferson County Tourism Commission. If you enjoy the conversation shared in Bayou Lands Talks, please remember to share and follow wherever you find your podcasts. And join us on social media at 91.3 KVLU Public Radio on Facebook and Bayou Lands on Instagram. Thanks for listening.